Announcement. The revolution will not be televised. I repeat, the hemp revolution will not be televised. Welcome to the Hemp Revolution Podcast, the global hotspot for the buzz and the cannabis. Hear the secrets of the green rush from the dreamers who are writing the rules, innovating business, and changing history forever. Immerse yourself with the fascinating stories from the leaders in the hemp health revolution to learn how we are changing the game. Now here's your hosts, James Brinkerhoff and Sonia Gomez. What's up, guys? Sonia Gomez coming to you from Denver, Colorado, the mecca of marijuana, a.k.a. Yeah, the mecca of marijuana. There's all kinds of cannabis hoopla coming on over here. And being somebody who's a native from California, it's pretty surprising to see how fast Colorado is innovating ahead of the curve of most of the other industries, no matter how young or old they are in their respected states. As you know, it is our mission here at The Hemp Revolution and at medicalsecrets.com to share the truth about cannabis and hemp so that you can make empowered decisions about how you want to care for yourself, the people that you love, conditions you may be suffering from, or otherwise taking care of that beautiful gift of life that you have. I've had the great pleasure of interviewing entrepreneurs from all over the world at all different walks of life, all different levels of success, and today is no different. Ethan who is our guest for the for this afternoon is a lifelong cannabis aficionado and advocate. He was raised by uh, he was raised in a weed smoking family in uh, moved to Portland, Oregon in 1991, and over the next couple of years dropped out of school, moved down to Southern Oregon, deep into the heart of the marijuana counterculture, and in 1997, at just 24 years old started a hemp textile manufacturing business focused on providing American-made, high-quality hemp products. In 1998, after the passage of medical marijuana laws in Oregon, he was one of the few people initially willing to get on their list and grow legal cannabis. After full legalization in 2014, he left the hemp textile business to focus entirely on the cannabis industry. His longtime partner in activism, Brent Kenyon, and he immediately opened dispensaries and acquired a recreational farm license. They were both asked to be a part of the state rule committees set up, help draft, set up and helped draft the laws, uh, the initial laws uh, for dispensaries, processing facilities, farms, and they offer consulting services for cannabis businesses who are emerging into this industry. Here to tell a little bit of the deep and dirty of his journey and secrets of the industry, help me welcome my good guest, Ethan Fletcher. What's going on, Ethan? Hi, how are you? I'm doing good. Thanks. Super excited to have you on. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I have done some pretty extensive research into who you are and what you do and how you ended up into all of this stuff. There's a few things that I'm super excited to talk about just because it hasn't really been highlighted in conversations on the podcast yet. But for folks who are tuning in and listening in and wanting to get to know what a badass you are, why don't you just take a quick second and tell us a little bit about who you are, um, some, some of your background, and then what you're doing in the industry today. All right. Um, well, background-wise, uh, I 
I was uh, born in Canada. Um, I spent most of my life growing up uh, in the Rocky Mountains on cattle ranches. Uh, and I got real tired of cold weather and uh, isolated places. And so I moved out to the West Coast uh, when I was 18. And yeah, I've been here ever since. Um, I've always loved weed. And um, so that's kind of what I ended up making my life's, uh, you know, work and passion. And yeah, that's uh, pretty much it in a nutshell. <laughs> that's a good nutshell. <clears throat> I love that you are, you know, similar to me. I was born in Santa Cruz. I was raised all in and around, you know, the Emerald Triangle, Southern Oregon, um, you know, like, like, um, you know, Williams, Oregon, for instance, uh, just, just all in and through the, the Southern part of Oregon. Um, these were, these were places that I visited frequently and was, you know, a part of the culture there all the time. Um, uh-huh. and for me, that feels like it's the rich history of cannabis is really well represented there. Similar to that, you might say British Columbia, um, or Amsterdam. These are sort of like microchasms of where the industry is kind of famous to be. However, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, <laughs> Williams, Williams, Oregon. I lived there for 15 years. So. Nice. Very nice. Um, so we probably have some mutual friends, which we'll talk about after, after the, um, after the show. But, um, you know, one of the things that really broke my heart, I went out to the Emerald cup, um, here, just a few months ago, late December. And I was super surprised, kind of brokenhearted um, to see that many of the folks that I had been working with for a long time um, or really respected or used to be like the quote unquote big dogs in their areas were barely able, if at all, able to make the transition into quote-unquote white market cannabis. Yeah, that has been super challenging for a lot of folks that I know as well, Um, particularly the old primers. Yeah. Um, You know, and that uh, when when medical marijuana first happened, that was one of the biggest things. All the old primers, you know, they're like, I'm never going to sign up. I'm not putting myself on the list so they know where I am and what I do. And so they were really reticent to get into, uh, you know, the legal side of it. And as a result, you know, people like myself, younger people uh, who had less fear around it, um, you know, we were the ones who started jumping into that. So we got, you know, a leg up as it were, even though, you know, so many of these folks we're doing well in the industry, you know, we're a big part of, you know, my learning process and, you know, folks who helped me out. And yeah, it is sad to see a lot of them, you know, not doing well at all, not, not even part of the industry. Um, it's unfortunate, you know, and a lot of, especially now with legalization, so many People who were never even part of it, who never even would have dreamed that they were going to be involved with marijuana in any fashion. Um, you know, so many of those people jumped on the bandwagon 
Um, and they, you know, forced lots of people out, especially people who weren't established. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely unfortunate in that regard. For sure. I, I just, <clears throat> you know, for a lot of the folks who sort of pioneered this space, I just have so much respect and they really carry a jewel that will be lost. Similar to like, if you look at Native American culture, you know, every time one of these elders pass away to a certain point, right? Anybody who's about 60 years plus right now and passes away in the next 10, 15, 20 years is going to be taking something uh, taking a part of the culture or a part of the wisdom um, of with them. And I think a similar thing is going to happen with cannabis where a lot of mainstream sort of, a, you know, normal corporate business practices are being implemented. A lot of the art and artisan and beauty of the, and nostalgia of the old school industry that made it so famous um, is, is kind of leaving with it. I'm really yeah. interested. I'm really interested in what you were doing with hemp textiles, you know, especially in the cannabis heyday, the dates that you were giving there. I'm like, Oh my God, I can't believe anything else was happening, especially out of Northern California or Southern Oregon. But why don't you tell me a little bit about um, your hemp textiles company? Because that is a huge, huge thing that's coming up right now and the next next major disruptor I see coming into oh, absolutely. the industry. Um, you know, that's that's the real future of, you know, the broader cannabis industry is, you know, getting back to the industrial uses. Um, when I started the hemp textile business, you know, that was the whole point. At that point in time, uh, at least in my circles, you know, industrial hemp activism was was a big thing. A lot of folks were trying to push to bring products like that in, to create products like that and get them on the market. Um, there yeah, were lots of other companies out there. Like, for like um, the Rainbow Gathering and, you know, Reggae on the River, like there was, that, those were two places that were just huge for uh, industrial hemp advocacy. Yeah, absolutely. People, absolutely. I, I had a booth at Reggae on the River one year, you know, back in the day. And yes, that, it was like, it was starting to feel like there was a, a lot of momentum building to, you know, revitalize industrial hemp industry in this country. Which you know, frankly, is is huge in terms of you know environmental uh, protection and revitalization. Uh, in terms of you know weaning ourselves off of petroleum products, uh, you know weaning ourselves off of cutting down forests. Um, you know, there's so many things that industrial hemp can can help us do, and, and problems that it can help us solve. That that was a really big focus for me. Um, which kind of fell by the wayside to some degree, not just with myself, but with a lot of other folks, you know, once medical marijuana happened and then, and then after that, once legalization happened, you know, the, the focus changed a lot and the focus went from industrial hemp to, you know, to, to growing pot and which, you know, I'm all in favor of, I'm a big lover of, of smoking cannabis and so that's you know was was certainly not a, a bad thing um although it was unfortunate in you know the 
just that focus shift because the, the reality is is that even though um, marijuana is an amazing thing, has amazing medical qualities and does so many good things for so many people, um, at the end of the day, we're not going to save the world by smoking weed. You know, yeah. <laughs> we, we will save the world if we plant hemp, you know, industrial hemp. You know, it's cannabis. It's the same thing. But if we start focusing on using it for oils or plastics or fibers, you know, all of a sudden, some of the biggest, you know, destroyers of the environment, you know, the timber industry, the petrochemical industry, um, will lose their, their, you know, their market shares. And that's where we can really save the world. Um, and so I feel excited, uh, you know, currently to see him coming back. Um, you know, obviously we're not seeing a lot of industrial uses as of right now, although definitely it's starting to happen. There's more and more startups coming along that are starting to try to use those, you know, aspects of the plant, um, which is huge. You know, I would love to see all of our, you know, particle board and plywood and fiberglass and plastic and you know, as much of the oil as we can being made out of hemp, because that would be huge. Totally. I couldn't agree more. <clears throat> there was this place in Garberville that I used to go that used to have like all of the latest in hemp um, textiles and all of these like crazy restorative um, fabrics. Uh, that's where I used to get like my sheets and my towels and all this stuff because I was way into, you know, restorative agriculture. I was really into, I still am really into like the whole sustainability movement. Uh, so I can, I can absolutely relate. And did you see that really cool company who popped up recently and they're starting to make pressed plywood and, um, like pressed, um, pillar boards, like the four by fours and stuff that you use of uh, beams they're making out of hemp, pressed hemp, um, flooring they're making out of hemp, similar to like they did with bamboo. And mm -hmm. it's so, so cool to see that part of the industry emerging. For me, I, I'm like, for me, I laugh sometimes because I get to talk to the quote unquote new age business owners who are owning, you know, quote, their new age companies in the, in the hemp and cannabis boom. But just like you and me, where we're like, yeah, I used to go to reggae on the river and we'd have that booth and like be scorching in the hot sun and trying to talk to all the festival goers about biodiesel and, you know, building sustainable. And, you know, it was just like, it was kind of the quote unquote hippies conversation. No one really took it seriously. Everyone was just so into whatever they were into. And now it's like the cool thing. It's the trendy thing to have, you know, a straw bale house or a hemp, you know, hemp fabrics or where be wearing hemp clothing or, you know, whatever it is in the, in my inner circles, people wear it like a real badge of honor. So it's really right. cool to see the whole thing progress. Um, it is, it is. I'm, I am interested and I'm, for you, it must be pretty nostalgic, you know, to know that you were sort of one of the pioneers who had, you know, one of these, 
um, one of the businesses that would serve an alternative industry or a mainstream industry as a disruptor, and then moving into more of the legislative um, you know, work around bringing cannabis legalization to fruition, and then what you're doing now in the industry. Talk to me um, specifically about what today's business looks like for you and your partner? Do you guys still own and operate your cannabis companies and add consulting on top of that? Or are you guys exclusively consultants? Um, no, we um, primarily operate our businesses. Uh, we do consulting um, on occasion because there are folks who, you know, are trying to get into the industry or have been in for a little while who are kind of at loss as, as to you know, which direction they should go or how they should go about doing things. Um, but primarily we focus on our businesses, which uh, we still have dispensaries. Uh, we have a, a recreational farm and we also have a processing facility where we make, you know, extracts, topicals, edibles. Um, but that's the primary focus is the, is the cannabis business. Nice. What do you love most about the business that you're running right now? Um, well, I mean, I'm, I love doing the farming. Uh, that's, you know, that's really my, my favorite part of it. Um, you know, it's a healthy, enjoyable lifestyle. And, and I do really enjoy that. I like being out in the country and, um, you know, uh, that's, that's where I, really get pleasure um you know the business side of it you know it's not so much fun it's just necessity um you know doing paperwork and sales calls and <laughs> all the things interfacing with planning not the world's funnest funnest tasks but <laughs> totally i can completely relate what um what is your so your primary role would you would say was more in cultivation where and what does Brent primarily do? Are you guys still partners? We are. Um and yeah, my primary role is running the farm, although um I do a lot of general management. Uh Brent, uh his primary focus is networking and the politicking involved with everything and, and yeah. doing the interfacing with planning and and officials, you know, being the one, the point man for, you know, uh, talking with OLCC. Um, and that's his primary responsibility. We both, uh, you know, spend a lot of time, uh, you know, holding people's hands, as it were. Um, you know, because there's always questions, you know, and it is a new industry where the rules are always changing. So that can be challenging, especially uh, for the folks who aren't focused on staying updated, you know, who are just focused on doing their small parts of the job. Um, so a lot of it is just, you know, staying updated on the constant changes that happen in the rules. Yeah. And that yeah, part that, can be kind of frustrating for sure because things change quick. That's my that was my least favorite part of running a cannabis company was like the compliance and the regulation. And at the same time, you know, I was like, 
fuck, how can anyone get ahead in this industry? Because every time you settle in and you're like, okay, great. We paid licensing, we paid permitting, we paid everything. Like let's, let's start to recover some of those costs and just go full steam ahead and start to focus on marketing and all of this stuff. And then the next thing you know, they'd be like, just kidding, amendment coming in (laughs) and nothing ever seemed, you know, stable. So that was really super frustrating because at the end of the day, like we just wanted to serve the patient. We wanted to help people understand cannabis better. We were really passionate, are really passionate about education. And it gets frustrating to have to deal with like all of the compliance stuff, which really distracts from being able to bring a really high quality education and build a really quality community that you serve consistently and sort of up levels the way that we are caring for ourselves and one another. So that was always a frustration of mine and a lot of why I enjoy online publishing. Um, But I've come to find out in the online publishing space, which by the way, like I'm the girl who likes to run around barefoot in the garden, like in my bikini top. You know what I mean? I'm not, I I never really imagined myself being on like public broadcast and like doing a radio show about cannabis. Um, But what I'm finding out is that marketing is a huge challenge for cannabis and hemp because of all of the regulations that the internet and all the social media platforms puts on you guys. So I'm always curious to find out, especially with cannabis, um, because you guys can't even sell across state lines. How are you guys setting yourselves apart? Where are you marketing? How are you marketing? And how do you stand out in an ocean of brands and businesses that are cannabis related? Well, that's a, that is definitely one of the most challenging aspects because, you know, obviously if you, even if you have the best product in the world, if no one knows, no one's going to buy it. And so um, it is challenging to get it out there. We've been focusing on brand building uh, because I think a huge part of setting yourself apart is, you know, creating that visually attractive brand. Um, you know, creating the the cool packages, you know, uh, all of that stuff so that, you know, when people come into a store, you know, your product looks more enticing than the one right next to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's what a lot of what we've been focused on. We have very few uh, products coming out of our processing facility for that reason uh, because you know so much time has been spent on R&D which can be really challenging especially when you're making for example gummies getting your test results consistent you know getting the chef be able to get those test results consistent so that you can actually make lots and lots of products took forever you know, and, and so there is nine months of, of R&D just on the gummies before we could even bring them to market. Um, and, and a lot of that was, you know, creating the product, creating the, the flavors of the product and the textures of the product and the packaging of the product that we felt were going to uh, really make it stand out. Um, yeah. 
you know, and then now once you've gone through that whole process, now you actually have to actually market it. And, um, you know, and there's a lot of the same challenges involved with marketing any product, um, you know, but there's also additional issues that, uh, that just have to do with the regulatory uh, environment where, you know, we can't take more than a tiny bit of products to go to a sales trip with. You know, we can't, you know, give people samples of the actual product. We have to give people, you know, unmedicated samples, just things that make it more challenging, you know, which shouldn't be the case. But, you know, based on the stigma and the fear associated with marijuana, um, you know, they've, they've made rules that say you can't do that. You can't do this. You, you have to do it like this. And, you know, so that, that. The marketing is is more convoluted, certainly, um, than other products. Uh, a lot of what we do that has been uh, our bread and butter at the processing facility is, um, you know, it's just cold processing processing for other folks. Um, so many people end up with a lot of material that, you know, it has a shelf life. You know, cannabis has a shelf life, and once it starts sitting around for six months or a year, it becomes harder and harder to sell, like as you know, bud or whatever. And you know, then it has to be processed because at least when it's processed, it, it, you can have it on your shelf for for a while, and so it's not going to degrade. So, a lot of toll processing for other people um, while we were building our products and building our brands. Um, has has been what's kept us going. Um. That's so important. I think, you know, finding ways to, because all the things that you're talking about, it boils down to like cash intensive, right? It's so cash intensive to develop a brand. It's super cash intensive to, um, you know, do R&D on product. Then you got to do packaging and then you got to spend money on marketing, which, you know, honestly is just like pretty much... There's no guarantee, right? Nobody can tell you if you put a thousand dollars here, you're going to make fifteen hundred back. Oh yeah, absolutely. There's no guarantee in the marketing end of it, and and then that's also one of the most expensive ends of it, you know. Um, yeah, totally. You, you want to just get a freaking full color ad in a in a magazine that people are picking up, and boom, all of a sudden you're dropping thousands of dollars, you know? Yeah, and, totally. And that's are, just. Is that, your primary, is that your primary method of advertising is through print ad? Um, yes, I would say so. Um, you know, we do occasionally some billboards, uh, but those are, you know, also expensive. Um, you know, we have the best results we've done. Uh, marketing with, you know, distributing companies who claim that they're going to market our products. Uh, that's another challenge to find, uh, you know, people who actually do go out and effectively market your products because we've gone through multiple distribution companies uh, with similar results from all of them, which is to say not stellar. <laughs> um, you know, right now we're kind of moving trying to maybe pull back from the distributor companies marketing our products and, and go more to direct marketing. Uh, it just seems 
more effective per contact to market directly to retailers. Um, and, you know, plus it's less expensive. The distributor companies want 20%, and which is a crazy commission. And especially when they're not doing the work that I feel like should be being done. Um, yeah, totally. Totally. I'm like, a distributor is a distributor and a marketer is a marketer. How can you do both? It's not, I'm not sure. Um, but very interesting. Another challenge that I've heard quite a bit and uh, is around the banking. And I'm super familiar with this, especially in the CBD space and personally and being in the cannabis industry here in Colorado. But you, you would think in 10 years that they would figure it out and they have not figured it out. What do you, you guys would think? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I can't believe one of these fucking big dog dealers who was just crushing life in the early 90s didn't buy a financial institution and, you know, decide to fix the banking problem for the entire industry. But nobody's it's, done it's that. It's been talked about and, and it's been tried. It's, it's not quite that easy. And talk about capital intensive, you know. I know. That, Opening banks definitely requires some capital, um, you know, but then, of course, that really comes down to the federal government. Um, it's not it's not the banks themselves care so much. I mean, hell, they'll launder money for Russian oligarchs as long as they can do it <laughs> comfortably themselves, you know. Yeah. Um, so and 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 that's what it comes down to the, the feds keep going. I mean, you know, they're, the feds have been pretty consistent in that, you know, trying staying out of states' rights issues, you know, but in far, as far as interstate commerce goes, like the government has been super consistent. They're not into it and they expect banks to treat it like suspicious activity. And, and obviously like if I was a banker, why would I do that? You know? Um, why would you do what? Why would you take? Uh, why would I, you know, why would I potentially jeopardize my institution by, you know, uh, working with a company that the feds say, you can do this, but we might decide that it's a bad thing and you might get in trouble later if you do, which is basically what they've said to banks. And so obviously, like, if I was a bank, I would be saying, yeah, that seems iffy <laughs> let's not well, totally. so what do you guys do what do you guys well, do as a business are you still running an all-cash business or have you found an alternative oh no it's all cash i mean there's we have tried uh you know opening bank accounts uh for you know consulting businesses for consulting licenses and trying to you know, run payroll and cash into those accounts. Um, but they've always been flagged and, and closed. Um, so, you know, we, it's, it's all cash. You know, we have to keep money in a safe and dole it out like that. Um, you know, we have to go get money orders to pay our taxes. Um, <laughs> it's definitely less than convenient. You know. It's less than <laughs> Well, my buddy, um, I have to just tell you the story because the convenient 
thing just cracked me up right now. My, my good friend who, you know, right out of Oklahoma city, hardcore Christian, never really believed in cannabis and hemp until he saw his sister-in-law use it and extend her life by several months, um, you know, suffering from cancer. And that is sort of what turned his mind towards CBD. Well, he just happened, so it just so happens to be um, one of the largest CBD manufacturers and CGMP has all the certifications, so on and so forth, and, and creates several incredible products. Um, but he was producing products for all of these people who would be like, yeah, okay, great. You know, they have 10,000 units or whatever ready to sell. And then, you know, the merchant processor would shut them down and they could no longer take payments. They could no longer, you know, sell products. It was just like a waiting game. So he decided to buy a bank and a merchant processor that would serve cannabis and hemp. And so far I've gotten, you know, several cannabis companies in both Oregon and California approved really quickly. Um, like I said, like he's my very close friend. And so I can just call him and be like, we got another one, Tommy, like, (laughs) and, um, and merchant processors. So now these dispensaries can pick up credit cards and they're not spending astronomical, like 10%, you know, fee every time somebody processes a credit card. So I'll, I'll make a connection for you because I know that it just completely transforms the way that you can do business. If you can just have normal business allowances, like owning and operating a bank account, for instance, Um, I'll make an introduction for you for sure. But it's so crazy how the most important (laughs) innovations of this industry are coming straight out of necessity. You know, like a manufacturer, he doesn't know anything about banking, but he just so happens to have the means to be able to solve that problem, you know, selfishly first for his clients. And then he's like, Hey, you know, a lot of people can benefit from this. Let's, let's make it happen. So um, it's really cool to see those types of innovations happening and, and exactly what you're talking about, like how you're serving your fellow neighbor and working collaboratively instead of competitively, whether it's processing some of their, you know, product or, you know, whatever it is, you're creating mutually beneficial relationships. Um, and that's one of my favorite things about the industry. What's a story for you that stands out that like, when confronted with any of the challenges. I mean, on a daily basis, when I was running my brick and mortar business, I was like, I fucking quit. I want out. Like I can't deal with this another day. Um, Mm -hmm. But then I would remember, you know, my amputee veteran or my, you know, my mama who would come in with her kid who had epilepsy and Lyme's disease. And I was thinking, and I would think to myself, like, I can't quit. What are they going to do? You know? Right. And so for you, what is, what is a story or who is a person that stands out for you that keeps you super committed to the work that you do and the quality that you provide and the innovation that you implement in your company as you grow your business? Um, well, I mean, Honestly, I don't know if there's any one particular story that stands out in my mind in that sense. I mean, 
what you were just saying about like the people, all the other people involved, there's certainly been a couple of times in the past where, yeah, I wanted to throw my hands up and say, you know, fuck it. Like I could just, you know, get, get involved with something else that's less complicated. Um, you know, and then you start thinking, okay, so now I got to tell these five people that they need to go do something else too. Um, and, and that's has on a couple occasions stopped me, you know, and then, well, I don't really want to have to go tell these other people that, you know, I'm firing them, their jobs are gone. Um, so other people for sure, um, you know, have kept me working at it. Normally I don't have any issues. I love what I'm doing. I think it's super important. Um, yeah, I think we have a really amazing opportunity, uh, to try our damnedest to like create this industry along more equitable and sustainable models, um, which, you know, can seem to be a really big challenge just in and of itself, you know, beyond even just the day-to-day aspects of running your own business, uh, you know, the whole bigger picture of like the industry as a whole and what it's going to look like and how environmentally and socially responsible is it going to be. which, you know, doesn't always appear to be the case. Um, but, you know, we're working on it and it's still in its infancy. So we do have an opportunity that with other industries we might not have. And that's another one of the things that really, you know, keeps me at it is it would be amazing to, you know, to really create an entire industry that was you know, based on a more socially and environmentally uh, responsible model. Yeah. Uh, and, and like, hopefully spread that. Um, so, you know, those things are super important. Other, other people are super important, you know, um, because at the end of the day, honestly, that's so much of what it's about. I mean, uh, especially when you're talking about medical and recreational cannabis, you're talking about other people and what works for them you know because that's who your consumers are and you know it's it's a big deal in my life so i know it's a big deal in other people's life and um you know it's kind of it's a it's you know there's a certain amount of responsibility or feeling responsible that comes with that you know yeah yeah, I can totally relate to that. And, you know, I, I'm always, my mind's always on the patient thing, but you're so right. You think about the employees who are coming to work every day, excited to serve and excited to bring value. And you're like, fuck, I can't quit. What am I going to do with these guys? <laughs> yeah, so, exactly. You so you, you bring up such a good point. Um, do you ever miss, do you ever miss your brick and mortar uh, or do you ever miss the hemp textiles company and, and have you ever thought to re resurrect it? Um, I have thought to try to resurrect it. You know, it's just, um, 
you know, I can only do so much personally. And, um, and that business had never really uh, taken off in a fashion that made the, you know, all of the effort put in really worth it at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, I think more about in terms of industrial hemp, uh, you know, trying, I, I really think about the fiber industry. Um, like you were talking about that one company that's starting to make, uh, you know, plywoods and, and whatnot. Uh, that right there is something that like, if I had the means, I would definitely be, uh, moving into that as well. Um, just because that's so big in terms of the benefit that, you know, the planet as a whole would receive, you know, and not to mention on a personal level, uh, you know, the, the market for industrial products, you know, building materials oh, is yeah. huge and never in. So, um, you know, on a selfish level, that's a great business to be, if you could lock that business up, you'd be making, you'd be doing great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you'd be having a good time. <laughs> that's a, that's a good one. Well, tell me, you know, what's next for you guys? What is going, what's your focus for, for 2020? Are you guys opening up new shops? Are you scaling the ones you already have? Are you opening up new social equity um, campaigns in your area? What are you guys primarily focused on? Um, Moving forward, um, honestly, we're trying to divest from from the retail stores. Uh, They are, at least for us, super challenging. Um, Part of that is taxation. Um, it's really hard to make money when the state is taking 25% of your gross right off the top. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the retail industry is has so many moving parts. Uh, it's it's quite a challenge. You know, we're, we're definitely looking to move out of the retail and focus entirely on just the the processing and production of, of the cannabis, um, much more straightforward, uh, you know, m- less of a tax burden. Uh, so that's kind of what we're focusing on. We finally, uh, you know, over the last few months have gotten our, some of our products, you know, ready for market finally, after a lot of research and development. Um, and so we really want to focus on marketing those products, uh, our edibles and topicals, um, and and try to build our own company up, you know. Um, and it's just too much to focus on too many different things. Uh, we thought that vertical integration was the way to go. Oh, it's a no-brainer. Produce it. We'll make it into value-added products, and then we'll sell it, and we're going to make money every step of the way. And no, that's not how it works. Um, so, and the biggest flaw in that whole vertical integration thing was the stores and how hard it was to be profitable at the stores and how we ended up, you know, basically like dumping money and products into the store. 
workers constantly, uh, you know, essentially to help pay the taxes. Um, it, it just hasn't been, the, the retail end of it has not been that great for us. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Retail is tough, man. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter if it's cannabis or, you know, coconuts. The retail is tough. And yeah, retail is tough, you know, yeah. for sure. Yeah, totally. So it's, it is, you know, I'm not surprised. And I think that it's really important, you know, to sort of give that realistic perspective to say, you know, cannabis is not necessarily a cash cow. It really truly is um, like any other business. And it's not like, great, build it and you will, and they will come. It really takes a concerted effort and staying super focused um, and, you know, relevant in a really super crowded marketplace. So, you know, for those of you guys who are listening in and trying to decide what to do, how to do it, when to do it, it's important for you to listen. And, and so I'll actually, um, segue in here in, in our closing conversation, um, Ethan, I, I love to ask you guys, um, one particular question. And I call this segment, the words of wisdom. And this is sort of your opportunity to share, you know, knowing everything that you know, because of where you've been, where, where you've come from, what you've done in your career. Um, I'd love to hear what is one or two key pieces of advice that you could offer the budding entrepreneur um, as they're considering or trying to figure out what to do and how to do it in the space to bring value. Uh, well, my first bit of advice would be take the long view. Uh, I know that a lot of people thought this was going to be an immediate path to making millions of dollars without even trying. Um, and there is a lot of money changing hands in the industry. There's certainly a lot of money to be made, but you know, you got to take the long view. We're in a transitionary period of time. We have been since the very beginning. Uh, and that transitionary period of time has not ended and, and it won't end until federal legalization. And even after, because even after federal legalization, there's going to be a period of adjustment where rules are made and then changed as like conditions on the ground you know, demonstrate different needs and different issues. Um, so patience, you know, when you, when people open up a, a start, when, you know, when you, normally when you, you start a company, you expect to, it to take years to make money for you. I mean, that's statistics. Um, but when people start a weed business, they think I'm going to be made, I'm going to be rich next year. And, that's not the case. You know, it, it takes work and it takes time. And, and you have to know that you have to expect to log it out for years before it's going to take off for you. You know, patience is, is super important taking the long view, um, you know, and then persistence too, along with that, like it takes work. It's just like any other business you actually have to do the work. You have to, you know, make the connections and build the brands and 
make the products and get them out there and, and do all of the things involved with that, that, that you, it doesn't just sell itself, you know? Um, and I had some of the same misconceptions when, when we first opened the dispensaries, you know, honestly, I thought it was going to be walk in the park, you know, Oh, let's put some weed on the shelves and people are going to buy it. And yes, that's true. But you know, it's not exactly, it wasn't exactly how I envisioned it. You know? And certainly a lot more work involved and a lot less money coming in than was initially envisioned. Um, <laughs> certainly isn't the traditional market. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, you know, all of that being said, like, I mean, I, you know, like doing the hemp business or, you know, uh, setting up, you know, my ex was a, a yoga instructor and a massage therapist. And we set up, uh, you know, a little clinic studio for her. Um, for example, and there's a lot involved with that, you know, a lot of red tape, a lot of bureaucratic, you know, freaking bullshit, um, a lot of money invested in that. Um, and then of course, a lot of marketing involved with getting the word out. Like it, that's how it is, you know? Uh-huh. And, and, it, and in that sense, it's not different than anything else. Yes. There's more, restrictive rules uh yes there's you know financial issues we can't use banks we can't get loans from normal lenders it's like there's a lot of things that are more challenging in this industry but at the end of the day it's still the same old same old you gotta get up and go to work and log it out every single day to make <laughs> So true. So true. I, I absolutely love what you're saying. And I agree 100%. And I think the only thing that I would add to that is, um, you know, when you're looking at business, you, you it, it can be very sexy. It's like a pretty girl, right? It, when you look at it, you're like, yes, everything looks perfect. We're going to do great. We're going to have the best relationship ever. It's going to be successful. We're going to grow old and die together. Nothing's going to go wrong. But when you get into it, you're like, this girl was wearing fucking fake eyelashes the whole time. And, <laughs> and she looks crazy with no makeup. And when she takes off her bra, her tits sag. And like you start to find all of the imperfections when you're already neck deep into it. And it's right. tough to walk away because you're like, fuck, well, you know, we invested all this time, all this money, all this effort has been put towards the success. We just got to make this thing work. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs think about business the same way. It's, a, it's like a bad relationship sometimes. You don't want to walk away when it's time to walk away. And sometimes you're scared to make the next move because you're like, what if it doesn't work? Right? right? Similar to a relationship, you're like, well, I love this girl. Everything's great. But if I ask her to marry me, what if she says no? Or what if she says yes? And then everything falls apart, right? Right. So it's, you get into analysis paralysis. And so for those of you guys who are listening in, I just want to encourage you that while you're considering, you know, coming into the cannabis and hemp industry, or if you're already in it and you're finding yourself hitting brick walls and glass ceilings, two things that I want to share. Number one, don't force it. 
You can't ever force it. You can be perseverant. You can be determined. You can be, um, you know, flexible. You can be all of these other things, but don't force something that isn't naturally happening. When you're in flow, you don't have to fight for the results. They just, it's just about strategic planning and having the right team around you, the right team who helps you determine what to do at the right time. If you're forcing something, you're going to really end up in a lot of trouble. Too much money, too much time, you know, bad partners, so on and so forth. The second thing that I will tell you is you don't have to own the business to bring value to the industry. There are so many businesses right now who are really looking for that right person and that right set of skills to transform the way that they are doing business. And there's so many brands and so many entrepreneurs and so many businesses out there that are really looking for that one person who can bring that kind of value to their company so that we can start to make a bigger impact and therefore a bigger income. So find out what your unique skill sets are. What's your genius and how can you bring that to an existing brand or business? And I guarantee you, you'll not only find yourself more appreciated and less stressed out, but you'll find that your participation is increasing the impact that this industry is able to make by supporting a brand that is in alignment with your moral code. So um, that's, that's just the one thing that I wanted to add on to there is that you don't have to own the business to bring value to the industry and don't force Absolutely. success. Success is something that is cultivated long-term and is not, especially not with mother cannabis, um, you know, Mary Jane is a selfish one and she will eat you up and spit you out if you don't know what you're doing, <laughs> if you don't know what you're doing. So, uh, be kind to one another and yourselves and, um, find, ask the question, how can I bring value instead of what can I take from this industry? Um, Ethan, I'm stoked to, to visit with you and to get to know you. Where can folks find you if they want to find out more about you, your brand, your business, and what you guys are up to? Uh, well, uh, we have websites, not exciting websites, but, you know, websites that can, where, I can, where we can be contacted at, uh, OregonCannabisFarms.com or OregonOriginal.com. Um, and uh yeah um uh at oregon cannabis farms ep on instagram uh, at oregon original on instagram nice okay well hey for the uh, ethan i just wanted to thank you again for your time and and for being on the show today i'll be sure to connect you with my friend steven from quiver pay i know that that'll make a huge difference in, in what you guys are doing. Um, and I'm just super grateful for you guys who are on the front lines, helping to serve your communities with quality cannabis. Really appreciate you. Right on. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, for those of you guys who are tuning in, all of the social media handles and websites will be posted around this episode. I encourage you now to like and share this content. Every time that you like and share an episode just like this one, we are able to impact people's lives from around the world. And just to give you an idea, we've been able to impact over 200 million people's lives around the world with the subject of cannabis, quite literally transforming the way that we think about and talk about cannabis in our communities and in our families. We are moving 
moving the needle on legalization every single day and making it more acceptable for us to have the freedom of choice on how we want to care for ourselves, the people that we love and the conditions we may be suffering from, or otherwise just enjoying this beautiful gift of life. If you're someone looking Mm -hmm. for products you can depend on, check us out at medicalsecrets.com. And if you're an entrepreneur looking to break through brick walls and glass ceilings, maybe you need merchant processing or banking, perhaps you need a stabilized supply chain, some help with extraction or distribution, hit me up with, uh, via email. I'd love to hear your story, Sonia at medicalsecrets.com. And I will be super excited to connect with you. I'm your hostess with the mostest, Sonia Gomez, and this is the Hemp Revolution Podcast. We'll see you on our next show, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode. We took notes on this episode for you, along with all the links and resources mentioned in the episode. Get them free on the show notes page here at www.medicalsecrets.com. If you love this show and our content, please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you really want to help us get the message out there, please rate, review, and tell all your friends. With your help, we can continue to reach the world with our message. And until next time, we hope you join the hemp revolution. And we challenge you to dream big and love the life you live.